Rethink Aging, discussions about life, planning, and growing older. I'm Elaine, and with me is my co-host, Robert. Well, hello there. Hello. Hey, we're back at it again. Yeah. Rethink Aging. Sorry about the break. Well, you know, we've all got things to do in our life. What have you been doing? (laughs) School. Right on. So what are we talking about today? Today is a very important topic and one that's very close to my heart, creating advanced directives. Hmm. So what are advanced directives all about? They are legal documents that guide healthcare decisions for you when you are unable to. Oh, so this is kind of like the advanced version of just telling my friends like, yeah, if I'm sick, just put me in a boat and push me out in the water. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen (laughs) that as an option. Okay. But yes, yes, and it's legal. It's not just telling your friends. Right. A lot of people shy away from thinking about this topic. It's difficult. You're thinking about what happens when I can't make my own decisions. I'm close to dying. I am in a coma. And it's a lot of hard work to kind of go inside and reflect and come to what kinds of decisions you want and who you want to speak up for you. So it seems like the place to start would be choosing someone to serve in that role, right? I think that is a a very good place to start. But first I want to back up a little bit and talk about why you want to do this. Okay. It's for yourself so that you are able to be part of making a decision for yourself. Planning and thinking about all this also helps your family, and it helps the person who is speaking for you. It's very hard to just out of the blue come up with a decision for somebody. So the more you can plan, the more you can talk about it ahead of time, makes it easier for everybody. This makes me think of the King of the Hill episode when (laughs) Hank has to make decision for Dale. Oh, yeah, and Dale, like, gives him all that, that, those, like, granular instructions of things he has to do. Yes, and Hank just, like, lays in bed every night, like, wondering what to do still. So you want to avoid your person having to go through that as much as possible. So, like, when Hank has to go out to Area 51 and buy the drum of alien <laughs> urine <laughs> before it turns into pure Zephram? Like that, yeah. Uh, This is also not just for older people, right? Something could happen to any of us at any time. So a lot of people also think about this as something for when I'm older, I'll think about that. I also want to um, talk about the law, right? These are legal documents. And here, at least in the United States, every state has a different set of laws. And state laws are what govern these decisions. Okay. So we're going to talk pretty generally and from our knowledge of our local laws, but somebody who is planning and doing this should go do some research and investigate what the laws are in their local areas. That makes sense. Knowing your local laws is good. For example, here where we live, if there isn't an advanced directive for somebody, your family has to go to court and have a guardian appointed by a judge. So there isn't really an easy way 
to step in for somebody unless they have specified this documentation. Other states in our area, they have default decision makers. So if you don't have a document, it's usually like your next of kin. They go in order of your next of kin. But here where we live, you got to go to a judge. So you want to know what's going to happen if you don't plan this and yeah. have these and, documents. And I, just speaking for myself, like if I put myself in the shoes of 20-year-old Robert, I can already tell from what you've said that I don't want someone I don't choose to make these decisions. I wouldn't want it to default over to my parents or some court-appointed person. Right. I want to I want to make these decisions myself so I don't end up, you know, laying there incapacitated having choices made for me by someone who maybe I don't trust fully. Right, and that brings us to your first step that you mentioned. It's kind of pick, picking somebody to be your advocate. And some people wouldn't want their parents. Most people automatically think, in my opinion, in my opinion. <laughs> Hank, the day after Thanksgiving is, in my opinion, the biggest shopping day of the year. Most people automatically think my spouse, right? And that is probably a good choice for a lot of people. But not just being married doesn't make your spouse automatically a good person to make these decisions. Maybe you've married somebody who can't make that decision. So you want to think about that. You want someone who will advocate for you, somebody who can do what you want, regardless of their own personal feelings. So when you make this kind of decision, this is a thing that you you get a legal document created? Like, is there a website for this? Do you have to go to an attorney? How does all of this work? <laughs> Two of the most popular legal documents are a healthcare power of attorney and a living will. And we'll discuss what each of those means. But no, you don't need to go to an attorney. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of legal documents online that you can download. We'll link a couple uh, in the description. And if you don't live around here, you can use them as kind of a reference to look through what these documents mean. But you can just download them. Usually you need to complete the form and sign it in front of a witness or two witnesses or a notary, kind of depending on your your location again. Gotcha. And I guess I asked that thinking of someone who is maybe in a dysfunctional situation, you know, or doesn't even want to broach it with the person that they don't entirely trust who might be close to them. So they want to create this document and then... Or do you file this somewhere or have it put away in a safety deposit box? You're getting way ahead of me here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you do want to communicate and you want to put this with your doctors and your hospitals and with the person that you do want to make those decisions. Gotcha. And at the risk of getting too far ahead, I, I feel like on my healthcare provider's portal website, there was like somewhere to upload something like this? Yes. Yes, there there is. Usually. I mean, I guess I can't speak for every single sure. physician out there, but yeah, there's usually doctors have portals and hospitals have portals where you can upload that. 
Now we'll take this at your pace. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go back to what is the healthcare power of attorney? So this is the legal document that gives another person the right to choose decisions for you, healthcare and end of life decisions for you. There's usually a couple of questions about what you want, what you don't want, but it's basically giving the other person the power to make those decisions. This usually goes into effect when you are unable, incapacitated, and have two doctors agree that you are incapacitated. So there has to be some kind of agreement in the medical community that you need somebody else to make your decisions. A living will is a little bit more of you speaking for yourself. So it it focuses a little more on your preferences about medical treatments, and it goes into effect again when you're near death or you have no cognitive abilities, and again, based on two physicians' opinions. It's just a little bit more narrative of you choosing this and that and laying that out. So can you have both of these documents? You can have both. Here in our locality, though, if there's a discrepancy between the documents, the power of attorney takes precedence. So the person would make the decision before going to the living will. You know, I just got to ask, I'm, I'm around you quite a bit, so I think I know what the answer is, but maybe not everyone listening does. What's the flavor of the kinds of decisions that we're talking about here? In most of the documents, they will ask you questions about when your agent can withhold or withdraw feeding tubes and hydration. And while that seems like a simple thing, To ask and answer, it isn't. Like when you get into somebody being sick and in the hospital, dying, those are hard questions to answer. You have to know something and you have to probably rely on the medical staff to talk to you a little bit about whether your person is suffering or whether they can or cannot eat or get a feeding tube. Clear as mud, right? But those are the kinds of decisions you want to start thinking about. If you are in a coma and you're not expected to wake up or to recover, what do you want to have happen? Do you want life support taken away? What does life support mean to you? Food and water? Do you want CPR? Do you want antibiotics? Do you want dialysis? What about if you've had a severe brain damage and you're not expected to recover? What if they're not sure? Do you want your organs donated? What if you can't live at home? Do you want your agent to be able to admit you to a nursing home? We don't have the answers to all of these questions for everybody out there, but those are the types of things that you should think about and that you want to be communicating with your family about ahead of time. So you could probably start with the forms for your state and just get an idea of what the nature of those questions in the form are, and then maybe add to that your own research? You can, and another document that is kind of a hybrid of a living will and a power of attorney is called the five wishes. Oh, I've heard of that. I'm going to leave a link in, in, in our description for that, too. It's a document that I learned about when I was going to uh, volunteering classes at a local hospice 
And what it does is it allows you to name a person to make decisions for you, but it also steps you through a few scenarios. For instance, if you were in a coma, not expected to wake up, what do you want? Do you want to be kept on a feeding tube and water? You know, it it steps you through questions. So it's kind of a hybrid. And even if you don't end up using the Five Wishes document, I highly recommend downloading it and using it as a way to step through some of these questions and start thinking. Yeah, it's good to have some guidelines when you're thinking about this kind of thing so that you at least initially cover the needed areas in your discussion with your person so they have an idea of like where you're coming from. Right, and I think it really helps you figure out where you are coming from before you have those discussions. Yeah, that makes sense. Because this is hard stuff to think about. You're thinking about your own death. Well, and the specifics of it, like, do I want water to be withheld from me? That's that's a, a real head-scratcher, you know, because if you're in some terrible state where you're not going to recover from, what do you want to do to elongate that process versus kind of wind it up a little quicker? That That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, and a lot of people take that and the feeding tube as I want to be comfortable. So when when somebody is towards the end of life, a lot of times they shut down their need for water and food. They are not uncomfortable with it. When are you at that state? I think that's why I started um, talking about kind of relying on the medical people around you to guide your decision when you are the person making these decisions. Gotcha. Because I suppose, as you've just sort of alluded to, this can also be useful to think about if someone's asking you to be the decision maker for them. Totally. Communication and talking about this, it's key. A lot of people overlook that step in advanced directives. I've thought about this. I've signed the documents. I've put them in my safe. Not good enough. (laughs) You have to talk to the person who's going to be making those decisions for you. I guarantee you they will want to know what you want. The doctors will want to know what it is you want. So you have to have those conversations. And I will say it's not only the person who is making that decision, but I think that It's important to include the rest of your family in some of your thinking. Think about the scenario where you want something maybe controversial or the rest of your family isn't going to agree, but your power of attorney has to make that hard call. You're making it tougher on them if your family doesn't already know this is what you want. I might have said that sort of convolutedly, but... No, I get it because... You know, sometimes if an accident happens or some kind of situation happens where a person is incapacitated in the hospital and can't communicate, all kinds of people might show up who maybe haven't been around for a while or feel that they should have sway over the situation that you're in. Or not understand why your power of attorney is picking something and then it becomes a fight. Right. And you want, you want to help everybody understand what you want. So I highly advocate for talking with your family and your close friends as well so that everybody understands what you want. Earlier, you brought up uploading documents 
in a portal. Yeah. You can upload those documents to oftentimes a clinic or the doctor that you work with, and you can upload them frequently to a hospital that you go to or will likely go to. And that is important because it might not be your doctor that is helping make decisions or taking care of you when you're in a hospital. Uh, yeah. Might be a, a hospital internist or some other doctor. So spread the love around. Let everyone know. <laughs> Speaking of online portals, another thing you can consider is giving your power of attorney or a loved one access to your online portal. A lot of them have a form that you can fill out and give somebody else like a login to see your records. It's just kind of a time saver sometimes to already have your power of attorney being able to see your records. Is that a good idea? Depends on the person, right? Or, Depends on right. the situation. Okay. You and I have access to each other's medical records. Yes. I mean, we've been married for 20 years. <laughs> In some cases, I had access to both of my parents' records. So in some cases, yeah, I think it's a good step. This is why I didn't say everybody should do this. I that said it's sense. a thing you should consider because in your situation, it might, might make sense. One last thought on communication, and that's leaving a letter or something to your family. It could be part of your advanced directives that don't get uploaded to your doctor's office, but, you know, it could be a final I love you message or reminding them of what you are choosing, that these things were your decision, and, you know, thanking them and giving them permission to let you go because that's a really hard, hard decision to make for people. Right. And when they feel like they've gotten this message from you that it's okay, it kind of makes it easier. In the same way, when somebody is dying, sometimes what they need is the living person to give them permission to leave. This would be kind of giving permission to let me go. Does that make sense? I'm. I'm yeah. I mean, I, I've read the letter that you've written for this purpose and... And it does, you know, it, it does provide comfort. I can see the the genuine opinion of you coming through in that. And and that seems like an important, like, touchstone for people who have to sit in that decision-making chair eventually. These things are very difficult. When my mom had Alzheimer's, um, Dad and I had to make the decision to put her into hospice when the doctor said she couldn't she probably wasn't going to go for forward, right? And it was a very, very difficult decision for us to make, even when we knew it was the best thing for her and probably what she would have wanted. So any kind of permission you get from the person ahead of time kind of eases the guilt that you often feel. A lot of people feel feel guilty they're not doing enough. They weren't able to save you, right? I mean, that dad, my dad and I talked about this a lot, about guilt. We weren't able to save mom. So that is really natural kind of feeling to get when you are the person making these decisions. I think anything you can do to help that person along through that process 
is a is a great way to go. We already talked about the five wishes, and we'll link we'll link that in in our description. Two other things I want to talk about quickly is a do not resuscitate form. This is a form that a doctor has to sign, and it directs people not to attempt CPR or defibrillation if you have a heart thing happen. This often goes with hospice care or being an elderly person in a nursing home. You also get a bracelet that you have to wear, and removing that bracelet revokes the DNR. But this is something that a physician needs to order. It is also a very difficult decision to make for somebody. Um, In my mom's case, I had to sign the paper. And in my dad's case, he was able to sign that himself, and it was a lot easier. And this isn't something that everybody should just go sign. I guess I just wanted people to think through this document and understand what it is, what it isn't. And there's one other document I'll mention, and it's called a POLST, P-O-L-S-T, and that's either Portable Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment or Physician's Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. And this is like hanging a bright-colored paper on your fridge. So if somebody from an ambulance company comes in, they understand what they should or shouldn't do for you. This is also a thing that a doctor signs. Is this literally something you hang on your fridge? Yes. Why have I never heard of that? I hang around you all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I learned about this in my death and dying class. I had never heard of it either. And it's not accepted in all of the states here in the United States. Um, It's intended to be initiated when the doctor expects that you only have about a year left. There has been a push to make it a national form, but it's still a state-by-state thing. Um, It's not quite the same as an advanced directive. This is a medical order, an advanced directive you sign and do. This is a medical order that your doctor will sign and give you after you've had a really good conversation because you're, you know, you're winding your life down. You've had this conversation with your doctor. They sign it. It's something that travels with you, whether you're at your house, a nursing home, or some other place. Hmm. We'll add a link down in the description for that, too, for anybody who might be interested in learning a little bit more. I know this was a lot of topic to run through. I think this is one of the most important podcasts that I think we'll do. I mean, it's, it, I, I started off with saying this is very near and dear to my heart because it's about you. And it's about how you're going to get treated and how your end of life is going to be. Wills and all of the finances, it doesn't matter. This is about you and how you're going to be treated. I mean, it does matter, but this is about you now and what's going to happen to you while you're still alive. Again, I think I stated I understand why people don't think about this stuff. It's, it's hard But I think there's also a fear of making a decision and having it set in stone. You can always go back and change your mind about something. You can review this every year, like when you review your remains, like we talked about on our episode about what happens to your remains after you die and checking in every year on that. You can check in on this every year and decide whether you want to change something. 
So don't let that stop you. Don't let the fear of making the wrong decision stop you. It, a decision is better than no decision. Well, hopefully this gets everyone thinking about decisions that they want to make for their end-of-life care. And do some research and learn about the topic a little more. Yeah. Have you planned your advanced directive? Let us know. You can email us at rethinkagingofficial at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at rethinkaging. Thanks for listening. See you next time.